I'm going to assume that clapping was for John's announcements. Good job, John. He does have that cool, deep voice that I wish I had. I'm going to be honest with you. Appreciate Pastor Jordan speaking last week. I know he did a great job. Um, And just privileged to have him in our church. We want to continue our series uh, this week on the real church. And the reason we call it the real church is, as you've noticed probably as we're going through 2 Corinthians, these people don't have it all together. Okay, so when we look at the, the book of the Bible, when we look at Old Testament, New Testament, and we're looking at a church, the church of Corinth, well, they had two large books written about them, and there's a third book that they talk about that we don't have, and then Paul talks about a letter, talk, Paul talks about many different visits. That's because they cause a lot of problems. All right? And he loves them dearly. But because of their problems... We learn a lot about what Paul teaches and what we can learn about what it means to be a real church, how we can handle these issues. Last two weeks, we talked about giving and turning our hearts towards God. We talked about last week that how we sow. John talked about that just now. How we sow and how we do this for the kingdom of God. And how when our hearts are turned towards God and we are completely on fire for God, giving becomes a natural extension of us. It is not a... How much do I have to give? That's taxes, April 15th. All right, that's a have to. It's how much am I able, how much do I have the privilege of giving? Total difference. Total difference. Lord, help me find new ways to give. Help me to find new ways to invest in the kingdom of God. And as we do that, it says that God will take care of us. But the biggest thing is God's going to do great and mighty things with that. And now Paul moves back to one of the major issues that's happening. Here's a church again, and sometimes we think it's really kind of hard sometimes to be a church of our age because we're a long ways away from what happened. We, we can't meet Jesus. We can't meet somebody who actually knew him personally. But you know what? These people could talk to people that, were, that saw the resurrection. And yet already they were starting to deal with false doctrines, bad attitudes, um, going off in their own direction. And Paul here is going to defend himself and the gospel from the Corinthians, from the false teachers and false apostles that had grown up, that had grown up within the church. They had caused him and the church problems. They have accused Paul of not being a true apostle because Paul had been suffering and too much. And they thought if Paul has to go through all the tough times, he can't be that great. And for his approach to ministry. Paul defends himself at this time, not so Paul can say, look how wonderful I am. And I think that's something you need to carry through this entire text. Paul defends himself because the very gospel is at stake. Because by saying Paul is a false apostle, they are saying the message that Paul taught them was false. Which means they are in danger of following a false gospel. And I think that's very important. When somebody attacks us personally... As a Christian, whether it's inside the church or outside the church, for our faith, when we defend ourselves, it has very little to do with us. It has to do with defending the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are so many times that people like to debate. And we know what debate is, right? You get a couple people on TV and they scream at each other. Nothing is accomplished, but they scream at each other. Then the next show, they get two different people to scream at each other. 
Okay, and after a while you're like, I'm really accomplishing anything. And the really one is you really want to put down, maybe make the other person cry. Then you've been, oh, I made that person cry. Yes. And I've seen it come into Christianity. I mean, I, I've talked about it, but I had a friend that I went to seminary with that was in a theological debate, got mad, just decked to the other guy. I, I think he believes he won the debate. But that's, that's really not the point. Really not the point of what we're doing. In fact, the, all the apologists, the apologists, you know the word apologist, you need to understand what this word is. It's not apologizing like, I'm so sorry we're Christians. It's not that. Apologist means that we are defending the faith. We are saying that the faith holds up to any standard of reason and it holds up to the standard of true belief. So, and Paul, one thing about Paul, he did not meet the style of what were called sophists at this day. Sophists were the teachers who traveled around. He did not use their rhetorical skills. Rhetorical skills would be how they speak and their techniques and things like that. And basically, if you were a sophist, your job was to tell everybody how great you were. Your job was to say, I am the greatest speaker of all time. And you are fortunate today, dear church, to have me in front of you. Now, we would laugh at that, I think, right? If your pastor came up and said that, you'd be like, okay, is there another church down the road we could attend that doesn't have a pastor so full of himself? Okay, but in this time, that's what you did. That was the technique you self-promoted, you boasted, and I have been taught by Aristotle, and I have been taught by this, and I know this, and I'm so smart. And you, Now, we still do that a little bit, but the other thing that these sophists did was they used emotional manipulation. They're very big on the, the tearjerker moment. Get them to that right point. Speak just right. But they knew how to manipulate. But what's interesting about the sophists is that we study them in Greek history, they didn't believe pretty much anything they said. They were speakers for hire. You'd bring them in and say, I want you to speak against the Romans. Then down the road, I want you to speak for the Romans. They could do both equally. I mean, they just had this. Con- and so these other false teachers kind of came in the style that everybody was expecting. And instead, Paul says, I'm going to stay true to the gospel of Christ, defend the truth of the gospel, gospel within and outside the church, but I am not going to use the techniques, the false techniques of this world. The false techniques, kind of like the advertising techniques of this world. You know, the advertising techniques that say, you have to have this or basically no one will love you. I mean, you kind of feel that way with advertising. You watch enough ads on TV or read enough ads in a newspaper, I won't be good looking unless I have this, this, and this. I have absolutely no hope. And if I do buy those things, I will look like the model who is in there. Guaranteed. Okay? I'm, I'm pretty sure neither one is going to happen. But that's, again, the, the time that we live in. So, Paul, how do we defend ourselves and the gospel? Because accusations rise up against Christians today. Accusations rise up within and outside the church. Okay? People are now calling on Christians. They're calling us hateful people. They're calling us people that are just, you know what? It's time. I've heard this so many times. It's time for the church to get with the modern times. It's time for us to get with the techniques of today. It's time for us just to ignore these old truths that we had. We need to find out what really is today. But I'm telling you today that we need to defend the gospel that has been true for 2,000 years. And here's how we do it. First of all, Paul puts it this way. Defend yourself and the gospel like Jesus, 
with the attitude of Jesus. In verse 1, we're in chapter 10 now. In verse 1, Paul says, I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away. Jesus was not, remember, Jesus was not vindictive. There is not, no question where Jesus couldn't look at somebody. I think of Jesus and he could look at him and say, you know how much more I know than you? You know, some people that know they're right all the time or think they're right all the time, Jesus was right all the time. He's God. So somebody asked him a stupid question, he could just look at, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Jesus could have just constantly done that. You are such a moron. Or he could have just been vindictive. Go away. I don't have time for this. Or he could have just been better than you. Yeah, what'd you create? Yeah, how about you? Nothing? Get out of here. But you see, the attitude wasn't there in Jesus. He had it all. He could have done anything. But what was his attitude? It was an attitude of meekness and gentleness. And Paul says that we are supposed to use that same attitude. Because guess what? We are not God. Paul was not God, although Paul was an apostle called to create what we have as scriptures today. Paul even had more authority than we do. But how much more do we need the meekness and gentleness of Christ? Now you may say, meekness and gentleness. When we think of a meek person, we think of somebody who kind of stands in the corner and says, oh, don't touch me. Don't, don't hurt me. Right? Is that meek? Well, the term meek is actually a, a Greek uh, virtue. And what it's talked about is Jesus was not... Vin- is, it is the concept of gentleness means a horse that is broken and disciplined. But what it means by that is is a high level of discipline. A meek person would be somebody who is heavily disciplined. Somebody who is controlled, disciplined, and strong. Somebody who does not fly off the handle either way. They don't retreat when they should go forward, and they don't go forward when they should retreat. They have it properly in line. And the Bible talks about Jesus in Matthew 11, 29. Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. The whole concept with gentle and meekness here is he is saying, I have the discipline and the knowledge and the temperament to go the right way. We all know people that are just a little bit too much either way. Okay? Just a little too excited about life. Just a little bit too excited, you know. They walk into a store, yes! McDonald's! This is the greatest experience ever! And you just want to say, you know, there's medication for you. Calm down. It's good to be excited. They wake up at 4 a.m. Yes, I'm so excited. It's 4 a.m. Let's go. All right? No, let's sleep. All right? But we also know the other side of people that aren't excited about anything. That don't have any fire. You could hand them, you know, it's just like, Hey, you're rich. you had a rich uncle who this guy died and gave you $10 million. Whatever. Okay? Equally crazy on both sides. But what we need to understand is that there's a center way, and that is the way of meekness. And also of gentleness. It talks about, Paul says, I'm going to speak to you with gentleness, which means I'm not going to raise my voice and scream at you. I'm not going to scream over the other person. I'm going to come at you in a gentle way. Notice how Jesus always talked to people. It was with the right attitude, with a loving attitude. 
even though he would say something, he would not have, gone, if they would have put him on like CNN or Fox or MSNBC, they said, Jesus, defend yourself. The other person would have started screaming. I can just imagine Jesus looking at him like, is this guy going to get done ever? You know, because this isn't how I work. I'm gentle and meek. I've got discipline. I don't go emotionally off the deep end. I don't go crazy. But I also am not going to sit here and take it. I will respond, but I'll respond in a way that puts arguments down. I, one of the things that strikes me about Jesus is how many times when he defended himself against people that were trying to kill him, they walked away saying, we were amazed. And I've been doing a study of this. We were amazed at his answer. Oh, teacher, great answer. Oh, wait, 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 we don't like you, but whoa, was that a good answer? That just tells you. He was not, he was not the, the attitude he took was actually per, persuasive. And that's the attitude that we should have of, of telling people the gospel of Jesus Christ, but not screaming the gospel of Jesus Christ at them. When we're defending ourselves, and it's hard, when people say, you know what, you're a Christian, you hate all these people, you hate this, you hate that, you, you don't love people, you, all you do is say no, no, no. And the hardest thing to do is not to say, you don't understand, you're just being mean to us, we're really nice. No, treat him with gentleness and meekness, with discipline. The other thing I think it's so important to understand, when we are defending the gospel of Jesus Christ and defending ourselves against those who attack us, is our weapons are from God. If we look at verses 2 to 5, Paul says, I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Okay, now I just told you that Paul was about gentleness and meekness, and he was referring to Jesus. The next thing he moves to is warfare metaphors. He may say, whoa, whoa, gentle and meek does not fit with warfare. It does when we are fighting against the prince and powers of the earth, which is Satan and his demons. And it says that the, tr- the truth, the, lo- or the lies that are out there, the, the fighting against the truth, are we have to fight against them with spiritual weapons because there is spiritual warfare that needs to take place. And so he says we need to use these weapons. But realize these weapons are not used by themselves. They're used of God. So in other words, he uses a military metaphor. First of all, he says, I walk in the flesh, but I don't wage war that way. He says, I'm a fleshly person. I have a a body. He says, I could wage war in my flesh. Well, how could you wage war in your flesh? There are people that have taken onto their thing to kill for Jesus. That would be a war using your flesh. There are people that have used their, their attitudes, bad attitudes, a fleshy attitude to fight for Jesus. There have been other people that have shamed other people for Jesus. That's a fleshly way. What he's trying to say, if you want to defend yourself against those who attack you or to help people come to know the knowledge of Christ, the only thing that's going to break down the stronghold, the only thing that's going to destroy what's going on, destroy their arguments, is the power of Jesus Christ. Plain and simple. You can't do it on your own. So Paul here argues that the wrongful use of flesh, which would be anger, rage, selfish interest, envy, retaliation, 
We should instead use the weapons of the Spirit. We should instead rely on Jesus Christ. The Bible is very clear to the disciples. What did Jesus say to them? He said, when I go away, they are going to haul you in front of um, a magistrate or something like that, and I will give you the words to say. I will give you the strength and know what to say. God is doing the work in other people's hearts. It is our job to be the instrument of God, not the instrument of our own flesh. It is our job to find a way to let the Holy Spirit work through us so that when we are with us, remember we talked about earlier, that when people are around us, they should have a, a, a sense of the rain or the wetness of Christ, that people should feel the aroma. We talked about the aroma of Christ earlier, that they should feel that. Well, that's not our aroma, okay? People should not walk out, man, that smells like John when he comes in here. Well, yeah, but it should smell like Christ, the, the, the rain of Christ, the, the wetness of Christ that talks about the, the rain and everything, that is Christ should sent, it should flow through us. One of the most interesting passages in the Bible is in Jude chapter nine, or verse 9. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. In other words, here's the story. We've got Moses who died. His bones are, Michael has been sent to take care of his bones. And so what happens? The, the enemy, the devil comes and he wants to take Moses' bones. He wants to get a victory here. And Michael, the archangel of God, who's one of the only angels mentioned, what does he do to defeat the, the devil? Does he say, bring it. I'm the archangel of God. I'll take you. No, he says, Lord, rebuke you. Very gently, gently, Lord rebuke you. And what does Satan do? I got nothing I can do against that. Because so many times in this world, we fight against the powers of evil with our flesh. We fight against them with our own great reasoning and all that. But need to understand that sometimes we just have to say, Lord, rebuke this person. But Lord, give me the words to say. Give me the arguments to say. Let your spirit work on that other person. Lord, let everything that I say be, be completely covered by your spirit so that other people will be transformed. The one thing that comforts me and also scares me a little bit as a pastor, there, there have been you know, many, many people saved in this church. But you know how many I get credit for? Zero. I have never saved anybody. And I'm thankful for that. Because what that tells me is only the Holy Spirit can really transform somebody's life. Only when I preach the gospel and the Holy Spirit flows through me are people changed. That's the only way it can ever happen. You think with your neighbor. You think with your friend. You think with your coworker who's just so far from God. You say there's no way this person's ever going to become to know Christ. Trust me. The power of God can do it. The power of God, it says, can destroy any stronghold. It, can wage, it wages war, it destroys arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and can take every thought captive to obey Christ. We need to be a people of prayer. We need to be a people of saying, God, use me. Give me moments, but also give me the words to say. The Apostle Paul, I love one of his favorite prayers where he says, Lord, teach me when to open my mouth, give me the boldness to talk, and also the words to say when I say it. Now, when I think the Apostle Paul, I don't think of somebody who struggles with boldness. I would say the Apostle Paul seems to be the guy, you're like, okay, calm down, Paul. Don't be so bold. But he says there are times I need 
the boldness, but I also need the words to say. And we should be praying that prayer all the time. Because when we are used of God, divine providence can be used to destroy strongholds, destroy arguments, and only God working through us can do this. The last thing we need to understand is that we need to present ourselves how God wants us to. Verse 7 says, Look at what is before you. If anyone is confident that he is in Christ, that he is Christ, let him remind himself that he is, that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. Everything that we have is from God. Every ability that we have, every talent that we have, every gift that we have comes from God. We t- it's interesting how he goes from this, from the passage on giving, where he talks about that every gift comes from God. And every, all the money you have comes from God. Now he says, you're about to argue and you're about to defend yourself. Guess what? Everything you have comes from God. You see the connection here? He's connecting. He's saying, no matter what it is, when it's money, look down at what you have in your wallet and realize that every single dollar in that wallet, every single thing that's represented in your account was given to you by the talents God gave you. Now look down and say, I am going to do this because of what God has done. And so make sure you do not tell everybody how great you are, but tell everybody how great God is and what he has done through you. I have a very good friend I'm go- in my doctoral program. I'm working with him. And he is putting up a church of about 6,000 people in a, in a church in uh, Tennessee. And we've been texting back and forth. And I say, I'm so glad what God is doing through your ministry. I'm so glad how God is reaching that town through you. And it's just like a, a great affirmation because God has found a place, the right time, right place, you know, and he's using him to use this great thing. I'm so proud also of my friends who pastor in little towns where the people, are, where moving trucks are always moving out. And I tell them, I'm so glad of what God is doing through you. Don't ever take too much credit for what God has done in your life. Don't ever say to yourself, you know what? The reason I'm so good is because I'm so good. Man, you're really good at praying. I really am, aren't I? I'm just, wow. Man, you can sing. I really can. Yeah. Wow. Really good. You know, or you can, you can talk in, in public. You can speak like I can. One of the things I always have to remind myself is I speak in public every Sunday. And I, I get a buzz out of this. I really do. I think it's fun. Sometimes I have to tell myself, just you've got to stop and sit down, John, because nobody wants to stay here for two hours. But, you know, the whole concept is that ability did not come from my own greatness. That ability came from a gift from God. That ability that Jordan has to sing, and I don't have to sing. God has chosen to give him all of the talent, okay? But God has chosen to do this. The authority... And what we have, the things that we have, what is it used for? He said it's for building up others, not tearing them down. You may have incredible musical skills. You may have incredible persuasive skills. You may have incredible any kind of skills, salesman skills, whatever. Your job is to use what God has given you for the glory of God, not for the tearing down of others. You could be great at arguing. You know what the point of an argument is? To help the other person become a follower of Jesus Christ. Not to put them down. You could show, I'll show that atheist. 
I'll make them feel stupid. And you may be the most intelligent, you know, argument person, and you come up there in that creation, and that atheist is like, oh, I was, I was defeated. I, I, I'm going to start crying. And you've accomplished nothing. Because the goal is to help that person raise them up. Verse 12 goes on further. It says, Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but that when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. But we will not boast without limits, but we will boast only with regard to the area of influence God has assigned to us to reach even to you. The other thing is, when we are defending ourselves, it's important that, we, that Paul is trying to say this through this whole thing, that we do not compare ourselves to other people. It is so easy. I play basketball. I find, when I used to coach basketball of six-year-olds, I was the best basketball player on the floor. Oh, man. They came into my lane. I swatted it right out of there. No six-year-olds driving on me. You know, because I'm just that good. Because I was comparing myself to others. Or I'm comparing my own spirituality. Paul is saying, these other people that are becoming false prophets, they're comparing themselves to other people. And their false ideas are because they're, they're thinking about, you know what they're worried about? They're worried about how the world might look at them. You know, if we as a church take a stand against a certain issue, the world may not like us. Because we're going to use the world as our understanding of who we are. Paul says, I'm going to let God decide what is right for us, and I'm going to let him be the judge of what we do. So if the world says that we are no longer able to pray, the world says that we have to take a certain stance on some issue, we look to God, and we do like the disciples, or the apostles did in the book of Acts, we cannot listen to you if you tell us something opposite of God. We are not going to use the world's standards. The world's standards is, everybody's opinion is equally fine. Everybody should have their own say. You worship your God. I'll worship my God. Just don't tell anybody about it. Guess what? God's standard is there's only one God. He's existent in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Worship God and worship God alone. We will never worship another God. We'll never follow another thing because we will not compare ourselves to the world. And that's going to help us not get carried away with this world. It's important that we have that. And with this, watch your attitude. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is the one who commends himself, who is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. In other words, you want to be, you want to be found true? You want to be found the way God wants you to? You let him commend you. Again, the same thing. Here's our goal, our future judgment, the goal. You may be on this earth, and I will tell you this, if you follow Jesus Christ, and I believe in our country is becoming harder and harder because our stances are starting to be less and less in the mainstream. Okay, I think most of us can identify with that. But what I'm going to tell you is, because of that, we need to understand that the only thing that really matters is for the Lord to tell us, well done. Because the world is not going to pat us on the back like they used to. It used to be, if you told somebody you were a pastor or a Christian, oh, that's so great. We're so thankful to have you here. Now you're a pastor or a Christian. Ooh, can you stand over there? We're all going to do our fun stuff. And you hateful, picky 
non-loving people go stand over there. Okay? And what I would say to this is, first of all, don't give them ammunition by becoming hateful. Okay? Because there are Christians where, you ever see Christians on TV and you're like, get off our side. Like you want to give them a brochure. Here's another religion you might want to try. Go. Just stop it. Get away from us. I'm I'm the only one. I don't think so. But we need to show people that our attitude and our hope in Christ means something. But you know what? This world is not going to accept us all the time. Except for the power of the Holy Spirit, we're swimming upstream. More than we've ever had in our country. It's always been pretty easy for Christians in this country, but it's getting harder and harder. But you know what that means? Let no one boast, but boast in the Lord. It is not the one who commends himself who is approved. In other words, we shouldn't say as a church, you know what? We are so much like the world, good for us. We should say, we are so much like the Lord, let's boast in that. Let's boast in what God has done in our lives. Let's boast in the fact that we are holding true to his standards. Because the world isn't going to be there to give us applause. And they're not expected to. We're here, as Paul was defending himself in the gospel, he is saying, these other people want to get the world with them? Great. I'd rather have God with me. Why don't you stand with me today? We live in a world that's different than the world that even I was a kid in. When I was a kid, it seemed like everybody went to Sunday school. Not everybody was good, I'm not trying to say that, but there was a certain level of what things were. And we've seen a, a real change in our world. We've seen a real change within the church even, where churches are now saying what the Bible says, it's, it's negotiable. For 2,000 years, the Bible has been very clear on something. All of a sudden, somebody discovers that's not really what the Bible says because it doesn't fit with our own lifestyle. We want to live a certain lifestyle, so we just adapt the Bible. You know what? The world is there to be reached for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we can only reach the world for the gospel of Jesus Christ if we stay true to it. Because otherwise, we're not giving him anything. We stay true to the gospel of Jesus Christ because he's the one who came up with it. God is the one who is the maker of all, the creator of all, the one who creates the rules, not out of fear, not out of hate, not out of condemnation, but to help people grow and become the people of God that they are supposed to be. And if you're here today and you're hearing about God today, you're hearing about this gospel message, the world may be telling you one thing, but I will tell you this, only believe what God is saying. And God is telling you today that he has a better way for you. We took communion earlier. What the communion elements were was the blood of Christ, the body of Christ. He was broken for us. Why did he do that? Because he said, I need to do something in this world so people can be saved. I need to do something so people can be pulled out of the sin that they are stuck in. That they are slaves. The Bible uses the word slaves to sin. If you want to be free, if you want to be forgiven, if you want to have a new life, you want to have uh, peace with God, it's time to make that commitment today. Come and talk to one of our prayer ministers. But for everybody else who's here, you are now being drawn into an era where we are going to have to defend our faith. And our attitude needs to be meekness and gentleness of Christ. It needs to have the the confidence that God goes before us, that God's weapons, that God's truth from the Bible, God's arguments are the ones that we follow. 
And that the fact that we need to look and say, when we boast, let us boast only what God has done in us. Let us take the attitude, the proper attitude, so that we, we present ourselves as the people of God that we're supposed to be. I mean, the Apostle Paul, I always think of the Apostle Paul. Again, a guy who could just say, how many books of the Bible did you write? I mean, seriously, when that does just shut down an argument, I've written a few, you've written none, so please be quiet. Could have done that. But he says, no, I will not boast in me, I will boast in what God has done through me. I will boast in my God, I will boast in Him. My attitude will be correct, I will not tear down other people, I will look at them as people of, that have potential to be followers of Jesus Christ. People that have worth because they are created in the image of God. And that is what God is calling us to do. Let's just make that commitment this week to say, God, transform us. Make us the people of God that you have called us to be. Help us in our defense of the gospel. Lord, we're not about us. We're about you. And Lord, if something goes great this week, let's give God the glory. How about this week? Something goes really well. Glory to God. Give him the glory for all. He brings all good things, the Bible says. He brings all good things into our life. Give him glory. And we do that, our defense of the gospel is going to be right. And we're going to see people by the power of the Holy Spirit transformed by him. Lord, we thank you today. We thank you, Lord, that you are the great creator. We thank you, God, that you made us. We thank you, God, that you made us in your image, but you also, God, knew that we were stuck in our own sins. You came and you died on the cross for us. And when you died on the cross for us, God, and rose from the dead, you gave us the opportunity to have salvation. And Lord, today, we may feel that we are under attack as Christians. Not Not more than you were, God, or even the Apostle Paul. But Lord, we need to understand that it's by your power, by your spirit, Lord, that we can use the powers of of God to fight the evil that is around God. Because we're not here to crush other people, to hurt other people, God. We are here to give them the freeing power of Jesus Christ. The power of the Holy Spirit, the power of salvation, God, that can transform people. And Lord, when you use us, let us not boast in ourselves. Let us boast in you, God. Let us look to be commended by you, God. We ask this now in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you are here today and you need someone to pray with you about anything in your life or if you'd like to make a commitment to Christ, we have prayer ministers available.